You're listening to the Retail Exchange Podcast in association with Retail Focus Magazine. Brought to you by Visual Thinking, inspiring retail performance. Hello, I'm Declan Curry. We hope you've enjoyed our previous discussion on Stores of the Future 2.0. That's available online if you haven't heard it yet. This podcast is a continuation of that discussion. We're going to find out why some concept stores don't work and how you fix them and how you use what you've learned from the store of the future to transform your entire business. My guests are Nathan Watts, who's the creative director at Fitch, Carl McKeever, who's the founder and managing director at Visual Thinking, Paul West, who's the strategy director at DL and Powell, and James Briggs, who's the associate director of design at RPA Group. Carl McKeever, let's uh, start with you. There has to be an ability to look at what has been successful. Not only is the investment cycle getting shorter, uh, it's also becoming more unforgiving. Results are essential. I've been running visual thinking now for almost 25 years. And when we first met and sat with clients, those three little words never came up in conversation, and that is return on investment. Now, return on investment is actually at the start of the conversation and is the precursor to any ideas that the client actually wants to make. So getting payback and payback within a realistic and meaningful timeframe is at the heart of the objectives. James? Yeah, return on investment, um, uh, as we say, is, is one of those things that constantly comes up, um, you know, where essentially agencies are paid for thinking. And it's it's a difficult sell to anybody uh, where return on investment comes into play. What we're actually dealing with is a psychological response, a fundamental response um, that is hardwired into every single customer. It's being able to tap into that and effectively use a science. Um, it's using something that is measurable and something that can be put on a return on investment um, uh, and actually back up our, our creative um, approach to uh, any retail interior. Cool. Well, we've been talking a lot about the new ROI, the return on involvement and the store space becoming a, a bit of a place for fans to gather and become an advert for the brand as, as you know, millennials, Gen Z and, and, and above uh, are switching off from traditional advertising. Then the, the, the store space is the new type of media model, which, you know, suggests a whole new experience for the customer. Carl McKeever. One of the things that inherently we're looking at in these discussions is actually the concept of productivity. Um, nobody these days in retail can really afford a project for a project's sake. A project has got to have very stiff commercial objectives attached to it, whether that's about brand metrics or commercial metrics. But ultimately for all retailers, whether they've got a big estate or a, a, a collection of you know really prestige international stores, they have to earn their keep. And that's why having in place processes to then take that store of the future and really make it sing from a commercial perspective is what it's all about. I hear what you're saying, but when you look at other industries and you look at, uh, say, motor shows, just as an example, and you look at the investment and the razzmatazz that's involved in those and how they use them to unveil sort of future innovation that oftentimes just looks a bit silly, but actually 10 years down the track, uh, it, it is commonplace. Is there a, a lack of vision in retail? 
I think more often than not, retail spends too much time looking at itself. And I think that many of the executives that will inform the briefs, those briefs are often driven out of the financial performance of the brands. And we want a piece of what they're doing and we want to have a look at what they're doing. We want to ape some of that success rather than genuine innovation themselves of what their brand's about or where the potential could lie. And I think, you know, sometimes I look sideways and actually to really examine the opportunities from a strategic point of view around other aspects of your proposition often lie within. There are many brands that we have on the high street, which actually, because they haven't almost addressed some of those opportunities early enough, are now finding themselves so squeezed by other online retailers that perhaps they've left it too late. Uh, Paul, the industry has been shortchanged by timid clients. Um, I think clients uh, vary widely, actually. I think some clients are very ambitious. Um, some clients are, are very pragmatic. And the balance of the two is is great for us. We need to create high-performing retail, but also very ambitious and inspiring retail at the same time. Um, I think ultimately clients have to be brave and they have to be aligned. And I think coming back to the idea of creating a clear vision that inspires the client and their teams is absolutely essential. Um, but we're seeing... This actually changed the, the I suppose the, the the whole retail offer now as clients we're seeing marketing clients, property clients, content, you know, digital uh, clients all coming together and creating something that is it retail, is it advertising, is it marketing, is it events, is it content? All of these quite interesting ideas coming together in one space that sometimes you think, well, is it retail? Is everything retail? You know, talking about the car shows before, you know, that's that's a form of retail as well, you know, selling something to somebody that doesn't have it yet. So um, I really like the idea about retail being a much broader topic now, more creative than ever before. Carl? And to take your point, Declan, I think where the... uh Uh, motor industry has been quite smart in recent years, is rather than looking at to itself how it regenerates its showroom proposition. Actually, it's looked to retailers and it's looked at the high street and said, how are those businesses transforming themselves and what can we learn? So I think the car industry has actually been quite open to new ideas in different places. And I would say that that's something that other retailers can look from too. And I think we will see more of that. Paul, there is also an issue here of speed that some retailers aren't fast enough in implementing what they've learned from the store of the future throughout the rest of the estate, and they then lose a bit of competitive advantage that they might otherwise have gained. Yes, um, we're always encouraging you know brands that we work with to try ideas uh, to be in beta mode. Uh, we've seen some uh, great work recently with uh, IKEA where they're uh, trying things like the Space Ten in in, in Denmark, where they had designers uh, uh, hacking products live in front of customers. So not being too precious about that, you know, that grand opening and cutting the uh, the ribbon to let people in. Actually, being in beta mode and trying this across different formats. So they work with Mamas and Papas, for example, trying things in flat versus trying things locally. So that helps speed things up. Um, but to, to speed things up, you need big ideas, big ideas that inspire teams to get on with it. These have to be novel, inventive, you know, creative ideas that really inspire new behaviours in the business and also uh, with the uh, customer as well. James? Yeah, I think that beta mode idea is is absolutely at the at the forefront, uh, and it is about not being afraid to to fail. Um, on some of the uh, the more successful launches that we have, uh, Farfetch, who were uh, uh, as an online retailer of of luxury goods, uh, launched what they're calling their Far, Farfetch OS, which essentially um, gives them the basis of a bricks and mortar. 
um, bus store, uh, thoroughly backed up by uh, completely integrated technology, which allows their brands to to apply their their own technology on top of that. So they've created a base for that, uh, and the brands almost become in in the same uh, paradigm as Apple. The brands become apps that uh, that uh, overlay their technology on that. Uh, and it is that that beta mode, that testing, that test bed that allows, you know, allows brands to really experiment to find their their sort of soul, if you like, uh, and craft something that's truly individual and actually speaks to the uh, the customer. Carl, is there a payoff between the bigness of the idea and an emphasis on everyday excellence? I think you need both, and I think it's about time and place. Um, there aren't many retail brands which have got the depth of pockets of Apple to achieve the level of consistency on a global basis. So, in fact, for most retailers, there is a constant state of newness going on. What they do this year will be different to next year. And in truth, all store development or visual merchandising or store proposition departments are always looking at what's next and what's new. So you've always got this continual kind of evolution of bringing the next tier of the chain up through either refurbishment or upgrade. Periodically, you will find that there are a requirement for big ideas to take place, and they often coincide with either a decline in fortunes, a game-changing experience, or perhaps a new management team. But you need both. You need sometimes that litmus idea that lights a fire, which gets everybody focused around the need to change and to drive change fast versus the day job. Steady, grinding tasks, which just continually create performance improvement. Oh. I think it's a, an interesting question about big ideas and whether ideas always have to be big. And uh, some, you know, we, we really believe in it's about the best ideas and we live in a world where the best idea does win. And uh, we're constantly trying to uh, define ideas that are based on insight and so therefore a relevant idea. But sometimes... You know, people are aiming, brands are aiming for bigger ideas, for sort of more ambitious schemes, but sometimes shifting sideways can be a, a really great thing to do and just do something different to everybody else. I really I really like the, the work that West Elm have done recently where they've moved from store of the future to creating a hotel that showcases their their, their wares. So you can stay in the hotel and experience those products and buy them uh, there or later on. And it's just one of those examples and something we've been writing about a lot DNP, which is brands behaving differently, shifting categories, shifting sectors, taking alternative approaches, rather than just trying to get the biggest, flashiest idea out there in the market. Nathan? I absolutely agree that that, that um, shifting sideways can be as impactful or as as, as effective as, as big idea generating. I think with some some brands and retailers, there are uh, opportunities to really be quite single-minded about what it is that they are offering and then to build the experience around that. And I think a good example of that is, is Lego. We've worked with for many years now. And we, uh, we uncovered that right from the outset that they were treating their stores like warehouses full of boxes of products. And we, we had realized that actually that, that there was an opportunity to really get to the heart of what this store should be about. And we realized that play should be right at the center of this experience. And we removed uh, more than 50% of the product from that space to create places for play. And that as a single idea has now uh, created a really successful format that not only touches in their in their kind of standard uh, uh, kind of retail space, but has become a kind of um, an idea to to think about or generate uh, countless other touch points around their brand, 
Um, and it's it's really about trying, I think, where possible to uncover that really single-minded idea that can become the differentiator for the brand. Is there a sense that some stores of the future are just too otherworldly? Carl? I think it depends entirely on the brand and the market. Um, some brands require you to be really out there in your thinking and to really push the boundaries. For other brands, it's a case of actually just actually taking the next step along that journey and playing catch up. It really comes down to what the appetite is of the consumer and what the opportunity is for the retailer to make money from that. But I think integration of the idea and the interaction of store colleagues is key to success. I remember with some fondness a few years back standing in a new Burton's store which had just undergone refit and was about to reopen. The area manager was standing with a colleague in store who was standing there with his tape measure proudly around his neck. And of course, this had been a formal wear business that was used to selling suits to now to a business that's more going to be selling polo shirts and jeans. The store team member was asked by the area manager, what are you doing with that tape measure around your neck? Well, he said, I'm ready to serve, I'm ready to sell. You know, the shop's about to open. Because that's how he'd always done it. Exactly. And of course, what was missing in this whole process was colleague engagement. So whilst the store may have been new and the proposition updated to serve in a different way, unless the colleagues themselves have been informed about what's changed and how to do things differently, there was misalignment and likely to fail. And Paul, that's you know, one example but, and a great example of that, but, but it highlights that wider problem that you need to have a proper engagement uh, with store colleagues, with store employees, if you are to get the real benefit from the store of the future. Absolutely. It often starts at the heart of the organisation uh, from a clear proposition about what this store needs to do. Uh, a lot of the, the the briefs around store of the future in the last couple of years have kind of been more around customer experience of the future, which includes those things I mentioned earlier around people, around process of shopping, around personality and placemaking, much broader aspect. It's not simply about the physical design of the store anymore. It's about the whole experience. And this is increasingly uh, more important today because Brands are increasingly uh, less differentiated, they're lacking the unique selling proposition, and customers don't even care about that so much anymore. Uh, so what we're seeing is the, the rise of the unique experience proposition, how brands are creating a customer experience to help differentiate arguably the same product from the next brand. And that's something that I, sp I suppose is in, in response to trends like stuffocation. We all have too many things in our lives, and this unique experience proposition helps brands elevate from that issue. James? I think uh, Foot Locker have done this this quite well with their Runners Point store, which uh, essentially is a technical running uh, a technical running store. So they have gait analysis, they have associates that will engage with you, uh, and uh, and actually help sort of craft your ideal, um, uh, I suppose, outfit if you like um, for your level. Um, so whether you're hard and fast. Um, you know, marathon free, or whether you're just an everyday, uh, um, you know, lunchtime runner. It's the, it's engagement on that level, and that empathy and understanding that actually really starts to elevate that. There's, so, the, there's the magic word, empathy. Yeah, absolutely. So where Foot Locker itself uh, is known for its, you know, incredible range and uh, uh, and and such, uh, and is is sort of. Uh, quite a, a wide base this is a lot more focused um but uh, again engaging on a on on that empathetic level and carl this goes back to your point about the critical importance of engaging with teams in the store you've got to have 
the right people with the right attitude absolutely and the right aptitude for it sure and you have got to have people that want to be there and a large part of the way that staff will be motivated is about their own personal connection to that brand and how well they feel that they're treated and rewarded as part of being with that with that team so i think we're going beyond a place where brands just think about customer loyalty and how they think about team loyalty as well because through staff churn re-recruitment, retraining, loss of momentum. It's an expensive business. So it's in the brand's interest to actually look after their people, engage them well, give them the knowledge and skills to succeed, and to make sure that they're rewarded for the improvements in performance that they can generate. So if the store does well and the staff do well on the back of it, everybody's happy because they're in it together. Nathan? Yeah, um, I absolutely agree with Carl about the, the need for staff to be in tune with what the business objective is of, of any experience they're trying to create for the customer. A, a great example, actually, of, of a project we went through uh, in China was with uh, the B&Q uh, brand, who already had quite a wide um, or a large estates within that market, but they were selling products in the way that we, uh, we, we buy DIY products in the UK. There were vast shelves stacked with products. But I think they realised that they were failing uh, because they didn't understand the consumer in that market and the way that the customers were buying products, um, often with their with their parents, um, and often uh, needing to understand how this space could, or how they, how to actually build their apartments. So we developed a completely new uh, concept for this uh, for this uh, DIY brand, and actually built a more experiential space where customers could use technology to visualize uh, how they could put together the products to create environments, uh, and then also to allow their whole family to to visualize and see what this could look like and then provide the installation service to, to, to actually help people build their first apartments. And the key to unlocking that and delivering that successfully was in how they, uh, they had to re completely rethink their staffing model. Uh, and uh, they, they, they had the benefit of being able to start from scratch and actually reappraise the kind of staff they wanted. So they chose to go to design schools and pick up um, uh, very design-savvy uh, staff who actually had a, a, a training level within uh, the, the category rather than someone just flogging things on a shelf and, and transacting at a, at, a, at a till point. And so this more consultative approach was a, a, real, uh, a real success story for the, for the brand. And I think that's a great example of, of how to rethink the staffing model to suit the behaviour of the customer. And when we look at uh, reasons that stores of the future fail to transform the underlying business, that emotional engagement that you allude to there, it's essential to have that. The human empathy delivered by staff is is fundamental, and I think it's the it's the one thing that differentiates physical retail from other channels in the modern world. And I think it's it's one aspect that we, and I, I guess also uh, the teams that Paul uh, works with, are you know real really focused on how to to to, to actually affect the, the the social or the human aspects of the store experience, how to actually. Um, improve that that service model within the store. Uh, so we we focus really hard with all of our clients now on the human dimension as well as the physical and the digital, uh, in order that we provide that empathetic experience. Carl, this is interesting because it's identifying factors that block the success of stores in the future that stop that transformation of the 
underlying business and we've identified engagement, we've identified experience and now uh, empathy is the third one. Yes, on and, that list. And, and I would add to that, I think it's also about skills and it's about routines and rituals and processes which become embedded into that retailer over time. So I think one of the things that should absolutely be on the briefing sheet for any store of the future project actually doesn't even concern the built environment itself, but it's really looking at the operational model for the store once it goes live. What type of training assets are provided to store team members? What difference was there will there need to be in terms of how the store will operate? How will they be managed on a day-to-day basis and ultimately performance be measured? And I think, you know, many people will express high levels of satisfaction on the look of a new store, but often it's a diminishing return. Really, it's the day-to-day grind of bedding in all of those aspects of a new store that will make it work in the longer term. If there's new equipment, typically it will need new methods of how to stock it. If the stocking methods are different, its replenishment method might be different too. All of those different types of considerations should go into the new store brief. And that's why I think that, to go back to an earlier point, a cross-functional team is the best team to put a store of the future project together because actually you'll be looking at it from a 360 perspective, operationally, marketing, commercial and property. Almost. I think it's a, it's a really good point there, just thinking about the, it has to be um, about uh, customer satisfaction as well as the, this, you know, shiny new appearance of the brand. And uh, and that, I think, thinking back to the O2 project, which we're both involved in, actually, just mm-hmm. the, one of the interesting things about the project, not just the, the way that it transforms visually and the way that you're served, is, is looking at the feeds online, Facebook and Twitter, of the customer satisfaction, the engagement of the events and experiences. And the, the satisfaction has leapt up uh, there with the with the O2 concept that's now being rolled out, but it's like anything really, not just in retail, you know, in in politics as well. To get people, uh, you know, on board, you have to inspire them. You have to inspire them with a vision. So it's there's no, I think there's it's it's, it's really key to build a vision that works across service initiatives, that works across spaces, brand identity. It's a clear vision that's that's actually going to guide and inspire every aspect of the experience. Cool. And if I may be very complimentary, I guess, here to our joint client within O2, we have both independently as two companies worked alongside O2 on their Store of the Future project. But interestingly, we've never been brought together for a joint briefing session. So actually, the success of what's made us work independently as two different agencies is actually the fact that the client is working well, they have a clear vision of what they're trying to achieve, they're well organised in terms of who's delivering what, and they've got good integration themselves as a team to be able to inform and direct and advise and manage each agency separately along the way. So I think whilst DMP are looking at all aspects of the built environment, we've been looking at all aspects of the software environment in terms of selling skills, team engagement, and how we build retail consistency. And it's that magic formula that when you put it together, really can make it work. And I would add to that also, um, we often find that even when those teams are brought together, there's still this this lack of connection with the other channels in order that there is a consistent message that is pushed through all the different channels. So that, that team from the client side really needs to be fully integrated. And I'd like to see clients thinking about um, proper omni-channel leadership that manage and filter content to make sure that that, that, that is a consistent attribute that is uh, delivered through all the channels. James? Yeah, it, it, it really is that connected, that joined up thinking, um, you know, from from the team. Uh, you know, 
within the current retail theatre, now is the time to actually bury your ego and understand that that actually everybody has a part to play uh, in the creations of the uh, the stores of the future. Um, you know, we've seen it. Uh, we've seen it through uh, the partners we work with in terms of uh, retail psychology, uh, in terms of uh, uh, digital and uh, uh, engagement, um, and actually, it's it's that synergy. You know, more the more than the sum of the parts that that goes into creating something that uh, actually is truly innovative um, in in an arena which you know changes daily. You've been listening to a Retail Exchange podcast. I know you'll want to join me in thanking my guests, Nathan Watts of Fitch, Carl McKeever at Visual Thinking, Paul West at D. Allen Powell, and James Brakes at the RPA Group. I'm Declan Curry. Thank you very much for your company. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange. Subscribe on our website at theretailexchange.co.uk to receive exclusive first-listen access to future episodes of our new podcast series as we explore key issues affecting the world of in-store. And why not join the debate on Twitter by following at RetailFocus, hashtag RetailExchange, or online at RetailFocus.co. The Retail Exchange is brought to you by retail transformation agency Visual Thinking, in association with Retail Focus magazine. You can find out more about Visual Thinking online at visualthinking.co.uk and on Twitter at Shop Tactics. Thank you for listening.